0: We are three best friends living on three corners of the country. Wifing, momming, boss babing, and honestly, just trying to keep our shit together. Anyway, I'm Allie. I'm Alicia. I'm Alisa. And this is A3 Life. Our fun, funny, and informative lifestyle podcast, where we will be speaking on how to be fearless, authentic, and relentless in
1: all areas of life. Enjoy the show. Okay, so thank you guys for um, joining us at A3 Life. We have an absolutely awesome guest that I'm super excited to introduce you guys to. He happens to be one of my very good friends, um, one of my mentors, I respect him greatly, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear um, just this raw side of him. So we have him on the hot seat and we are excited, you guys. This is Cedric Harris
2: what's going on world how's everybody out there today extremely excited to be on this podcast with these three rock stars we're gonna have some fun today
1: buckle up cedric i'm <laughs> gonna get bumpy
2: this is the a <laughs> team right this is the a we've got the a theme in effect triple a's triple a's. I never had triple a's ever in my life Ooh, anywhere so this is the first time i get triple a's this is going to be fun
1: I mean, like so many people follow you and you do so much training. Um, I mean, you offer so much value to the world and, and I respect you so much for that. I mean, it's just free training and content you put out there. It's It's absolutely amazing. But I don't know how often people actually get to, you know, hear where you actually came from. And it's intriguing to me. I know some of it and I feel like, I don't know like I just want the world to hear you mm-hmm. so I mean Allie Alisa I don't know if any of you guys have heard much of his story
0: just like- pieces um from hearing him on stage and things like that so I'm eager to like dive in a little bit and you know we sort of build this as like raw uncut so give us some juicy 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 stuff whenever you do give yeah oh. get to <laughs> and if yeah. you don't give us juicy stuff, we will pull it out of you. Yeah, that that's right. really bad. But, but like, let's go back a little bit on, you know, where did you come from growing up? How did, you know, like get to where you're at now, I guess.
2: Gotcha, okay. So back in 1975, around February, I was swimming with my dad what the hell (laughs) yeah that was like in february i was born in october so i was still swimming and i decided to break into the world no that's not how the story starts um (laughs) actually that's how everybody's story starts
0: that's right. Um, right
2: so i currently right now i live in florida um i'm originally from richmond va you know deep in the south you know grew up in that particular environment. uh, My dad was a butcher at a local grocery store. My mom worked at an insurance agency. Um, I lived literally probably not even a half a mile. I would say a couple of blocks, even though it wasn't blocks, like literally through the woods of a a project called Walmsley Terrace, which is basically where I grew up at. Um, So I grew up in a, I wouldn't say a middle-class neighborhood. It was more like, you know, lower middle class, so to speak. Um, But then you know, all my friends were in the project, so that's where I grew up at. That's where I learned life skills, you know, so to speak. Um, when I was young, I would say when I was in the, because uh, since you want me to go all super duper detailed, um, when I was in the 10th grade, being that we getting all detailed, when I was in the 10th grade, um, I started selling candy. So I just went to my dad one day and was like, hey, listen, you know can you bring me home some boston baked beans some blow pops some this some that and he was like what are you going to do with all that and i'm like i'm going to sell it so i went to school i started selling candy i became the candy man that worked for me in the 10th grade and a little bit in the 11th grade um and i was making basically 80 to 100 a day selling candy which was really really good you know being a 15 16 year old kid um one day i was sitting at home counting the money my mom walked in and she saw $100 on the table and she's like, where'd you get all that money from? And I'm like, from selling candy. And she said, you made $110 a day selling candy. And I'm like, yeah, are you sure you didn't sell anything else? No, mom, it was just candy. She was like, cool, you're on your own. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm on my own? She said, if you can make $110 in a day selling candy, I don't need to buy you anymore AJ jeans, used jeans, these crazy $100 sneakers that you want, Michael Jackson, Billy Jean jackets and all this other crap. I ain't buying none of it no more. You can afford it yourself. Good luck. Wow. Introduction into entrepreneurship. <laughs> I was yeah,
3: but that's a heck of an entrepreneurship like way to start. Like, what a great idea. Like,
2: yeah. You were yeah. up
3: tra- you were upcharging, you were buying them at wholesale and then upcharging and, <laughs> and cashing in on the profit. I freaking love it. You know what
2: was a better idea though? The, 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 the better idea was what my mom did. The idea of selling the candy and profiting that was that was cool, but it was cooler to be cut off. And the reason I look back now and say it was cooler to be cut off is because I was literally on my own. Like I had a household, I had a bedroom, you know I, I had running water, I had food, I had parents, you know I had clothes on my back. but when it came down to money, it was going to be created on my own. you know so that was uh, that was a great introduction you know, helped me out dramatically. Um, A year later, unfortunately, my candy bag got repossessed by the principal. I still remember it just as clear as day. You know, he came to me one day and grabbed my bag and stuck his hand in my bag and grabbed a blow pop and opened it up and stuck it in his mouth and started eating my candy without paying for it. And I looked at him like, yo, what's good? And he was like, hey, uh, you get caught selling candy again, then you're gonna get expelled. Well, unfortunately, He took my candy bag when I had just read up. So I only had like $26 and that was it. And my mom told me that I was on my own. So from that point, I said, okay, I've got no more candy. All my friends sell drugs. I'm on my own now and I got $26. So what do I do? I go buy half a quarter of weed. That's what I do. And I'm like, all right, now the game begins. So, I bought a half a quarter of weed. Remember, y'all wanted the details. Yeah, I was, right. I bought a half a quarter of weed. I, I took that $25 and broke it up into five dimes, you know, made a little bit of money, flipped it again, flipped it again, flipped it again, and then I realized that there was no real money in weed because I was smoking a product like Smokey from Friday.
1: I was and just my, gonna ask, I'm yeah, like, did you was, have a hard time not smoking it? The smoking yeah,
2: yeah. It was, there was no money in weed. It's like, oh, you make $20, $30, then you smoke a couple of joints and it's gone. It's like, what's the purpose of it? So uh, I went and got into some big boy stuff, you know, and and invested in some white powder and uh, graduated, you know, and uh, worked my way up. But for me, how I was raised, I couldn't go and do the same stuff that all my friends were doing, meaning they were shopping every two, three days. And I couldn't do it because I was still undercover with mine, you know, and I didn't want my mom and dad to know. So indirectly that allowed me to be a bigger dope dealer, so to speak, just because I couldn't go out and spend all my money. So I just kept reinvesting, 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 reinvesting until, you know, I was like next to the man at that, at that point for a little short period of time until, uh, something drastic changed. (laughs) It it is always something drastic that, that tends to change in your life that sends you down a, a different direction. So for me, um, I got put out of school. So I got put out of all Richmond public schools for being caught with weed. And they put me in a school for kids that get put out of school. So imagine that. It was basically 60 of us and it was a school full of hoodlums. They called it Educare, which was, the, it was a school full of hoodlums. It was crazy. It was the funnest time ever because all of us got put out of school, you know. So, uh, We were all in the school together and and basically I developed more connections while I was at that school. Then, you know, went, got back into high school uh, a year later and uh, played that game, graduated, and kept selling drugs. And I got a good job at a store called uh, Cavaliers Men's Shop in Richmond, Virginia, where I was selling clothes. And uh, they gave me a full-time job when I graduated from high school. I had a $40,000 a year job in 1993, which at that time, you know, which was a lot of money, at least I thought it was anyway. But I was still on the streets, you know, and then one day I ran a stop sign and it had changed my life. The stop sign said stop and I didn't stop. And I kept rolling and I rolled through a stop sign and the cops were behind me and I had an ounce of Coke under the seat and I had a, a 380 under the seat as well. And I had an extra clip to my gun. So uh, when they searched the car, they found the gun, they found the Coke, they found the money, they found everything, locked me up, went to jail, um, bonded out a couple of days later and realized that uh, my life was getting ready to change dramatically. You know, so six months later, I had to step foot in front of the judge and uh, get my fate. And luckily, luckily, I was sentenced to boot camp. So uh, it was June of June 14th, 1994. Yeah. June 14th, 1994. Judge Nancy Nance. Judge Nance was his name. We call him Nasty Nance, stood in front of Judge Nasty Nance, and he put 10 years over my head and gave me 90 days in the boot camp program and told me that if I quit or if I get put out, that I go do 10 years in the penitentiary. And my mom was crying because she was like, you're not going to make it. And the, the success rate for the boot camp was really small, like a lot of people didn't make it through. So I just looked at her and laughed and smiled at the judge. And she's like, what's funny? I'm like, I see you in 90 days. She was like, well, he just said most people don't. I said, I see you in 90 days. He just, ma, chill out. I see you in 90 days. So I went to jail for a couple of weeks, hung down in jail, went to boot camp. 42 of us went into the boot camp program, and 12 of us came home. 30 people people went to the penitentiary. And I went there with my best friend, who I grew up with. Um, We sold drugs together. elementary school together. We did everything together. Um, So him and I were in there together. We were the only, there was only three drug dealers in the whole boot camp. So they really, really didn't like us. So their goal was to break us down and try to get us to quit. So he ultimately got put out and ended up getting 10 years and and did five or six. But um, I ended up, I finished it. You know, it was the hardest 90 days of my life. But uh, if I had to go do it all over again, I would. You know, I live in Florida now, so my votes don't count anyway. So no much difference does not make? <laughs> that's the only thing I can't do that everybody else can do. <laughs> you know, so, whatever. So that's how it all, that's how it all began for me. You know, that's what, that's where the whole from selling dope to selling hope thing came from. Um, it was a life-changing experience for me. You know, I came home with the, the mentality of a soldier. You know, I still got up every day at 4.30 in the morning. I still ran five miles a day. I still did all the things that I did when I was in boot camp until I realized I was back into regular society. And then nobody wanted to give me a job because I was a three-time felon. So it was like, hey, no. And finally one day my, uh, my probation officer said, hey, stop. And here's a clue for some people that are listening to this podcast that, that might've been convicted of a felony. This, this was a life-changing moment for my uh, probation officer. She told me, she said, stop checking off the box that you've been convicted of a felony. And I said, well, what do you mean? She says, don't check off the box, just leave it blank. And I said, why leave it blank? Because if they don't see it and don't say anything, you didn't lie. Mm. If they do see it, that is blank. Now you can explain yourself versus having the box checked off and then they just prejudging you because the box is already checked off. That was a life-changing moment for me. So I stopped checking off the box and stop, you know, just leaving things blank and uh, got another job selling clothes again, but then ultimately got into the uh, mortgage arena. So I was introduced to the mortgage arena back in uh, 2001. I was seven. Well, I I went to boot camp in 94. So that was seven years, seven years later. So I got introduced to the uh, mortgage industry. I knew nothing about mortgages have to be in the right place at the right time and became the uh, number two loan officer for this company out of about 1100 loan officers the owner thought it was a fluke so he sent me to a bunch of different states to see if i can do it in different states i did it in different states he called me up, hey congratulations and i said congratulations on what congratulations you're the new manager of our detroit michigan office and you leave tomorrow and i said tomorrow he was like yeah tomorrow well at that time the most amount of money i made in a year was 65 grand legally anyway on paper and the average manager was making three dollars to $400,000 a year. So when he said move tomorrow and I was 26 years old, I said, I'm out. So I moved to Detroit and uh, lived in Detroit for a year. You know, I went from sixty grand in 2001 to 2002 was three uh, uh, and some change. And then uh, 2003, I got this weird phone call. That the old boss, my old boss, who's still still one of my mentors today, he said, "Hey, I need you to go to Richmond and fix the office." And Richmond was where I was from. And the guy who was running the office was the guy who trained me. So it was very weird for me to go to the office and have him switch seats. It was almost like Ralph Macchio telling Mr. Miyagi what to do. (laughs) But the boss sent me to do that, so I went down there and cleaned up stuff and fired half the crew and two to three days, they all thought I was crazy and started all over and, you know, took it up to a 70 plus percent closing ratio in two weeks when I was there. And the uh, owner called and fired the manager over the phone. And uh, I sat in an office and just started looking around like, man, this is home. Like Detroit ain't home. This is home. And Brisbane was the biggest office that we had. And I started looking at the pipeline and I started counting money. And one thing that I learned from my dad was to never count anybody else's money because you can't spend it but I started counting other people's money. And I'm like, this is a crazy office. And the boss called and said, Hey, I was thinking," And I said, let me finish the sentence. You want me to move back home? And he was like, yeah, I said, say no more done. So I moved back home. And that was 2003. And that year I made $2.1 million. I was 27 years old. And I thought the sky was going to part. Like you couldn't tell me nothing. You know, I went from 60 grand to 300 grand to 2.1 million. And and I remember calling the bank because uh, I, I had a lot of street tendencies and I still I still do. <laughs> um, I had a lot of street tendencies. So, you know, I, I had my money in one place, you know, outside of that one particular place in different areas. But I remember calling the bank one day and the checking account, you know, an automated system was like, your bank account balance is $1 $100,000. i am like, oh my goodness. Like I freaking had a conniption, you know, went to the mall and... Just lost my mind, you know. I mean, I bought everything I could buy. I mean, I figured there were seven days in a week, so I must need seven cars. So I (laughs) bought seven cars and freaking all the jewelry I could think of and freaking big old house and just started shining, you know, started shining and, and, and living. And then they moved me to Florida to run the company.
1: question for you. When you got out of boot camp, did you ever slip and fall back? I mean,
2: Absolutely. Just... Absolutely. You know, I'm the, I'm, I'm like 50 cent. You know, I remember 50 cent said at one time, cause 50 cent went to a boot camp program too. And they was interviewing him one day and they said, Hey, did you, did you go straight after You got out of the boot camp? He was like, yeah, I never got caught again. <laughs> I, never got, I never got caught again. So for me, you become the top five people you spend the most time with. So, I mean, when I came home, my intentions were good. Um, I got a job, but it wasn't really paying no no real money. Um, But I had to do that for probation efforts. And then uh, I slipped back in the game. I got back in the game. I was just very, very, very smart with it. I was more ghost-like with it from power. I was just not out there in the street. I was just, I wasn't out there anymore. Before, I was hand-to-hand. You know so when i did it before when i came back around i just i didn't touch anything but i didn't do it that long but yeah i, I relapsed i i, <laughs> I got back I I
1: because i would i would tend to think like that's got to be really hard you know being young and then you have that taste of money and you know what i mean and so then you come out of that and i i imagine that's got to be really hard when that's put in front of you again not to be like mm. Maybe just it it
2: was, it was, it was very hard. I mean, when you're making 300, 400 bucks a week, when you were used to making that every two hours and all your boys are still doing crazy things, you know, buying cars, buying jewelry, you know, and you're, you know, you're still young, but you see stuff, you know, and all you really cared about was, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll and clothes. That's all you cared about when you were 17, 18, 19 years old. So some of that stuff was taken away from me. So I ended up, you know, reverting back, reverting back to it. I was just smarter with it. That's all.
3: So then I just think you were, it was comfortable. Like you knew what to do and you figured it out. And I think we, I think we all fall in to naturally, like what's easy for us. And you saw the market and you understood the market. I mean, whatever it was, you, you got that and you're like, you know, I have the clientele, or at least I know the people, I know how to help, and I know how to help people find what they want. And I see an opportunity to make money here. I mean, I, I think it's just truly entrepreneurship on a different level.
2: (laughs) That's, that's, that's all it is. And one of the things I tell everybody, anybody that has a similar background to me that are in network marketing, I tell them all dope dealing is network marketing. I'm like, most people tend to, overthink this stuff so much. It's like, okay, you buy a product. Yeah, okay. I mean, if you break down the product and sell the product, it's the same thing, right? Well, yeah, okay, What well, well, you want to build a team? Yeah, so those people get some product and then you get a piece of their product sales. It's, it's the same thing. It's it, There is no difference. Sure. The only difference is, is that you're not running from the police now. Right. <laughs> <the same> <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. And, and And I mean, you can even tell people you sell white powder. You might be selling weight loss. I'm like, what do you sell? I sell white powder. I mean, they don't know, whatever, you know, right. but it's, it's a distribution model. That's, that's all no. it is. So that's why I know that there's certain people that come from my background that are pretty successful in this game that understand that it's just, it's all distribution. No. Everything's about distribution.
0: It's true. Yeah, for sure. It, well, it sounds like you always had like that, that entrepreneur bone and like interest. And, you know, growing up where you came from, Is that where you saw yourself as a business owner or in business or I mean like, you know, kind of like what did you wanna be when you were growing up or did you have any sights set on anything?
2: Actually, what's so funny, when I was in the fifth grade, I grew up on the water, I love fishing. I grew up on the water and the only people that I ever saw fishing every Saturday and every Sunday were people that did not look like me. So when I was in the fifth grade, they say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I walked across the stage and said, I want to be the very first TV black fisherman. <laughs> that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the Tiger Woods of Bass Pro. That's that's all I wanted to be. And I, I grew up fishing, but there was no money in fishing. You know, there was there was money selling cocaine. Yeah, so yeah. I saw myself as an entrepreneur in, in that game. And as I graduated from the, the candy to the weed, you know, to the Coke, um, I just realized that I was a full-blown entrepreneur anyway. All the people that were around me were entrepreneurs and every job I had was involved selling something, you know, and I always kind of, I always made my way to the top in certain jobs that I had that were selling something. So I just knew that I was a sales guy. So I knew I could convince people to do stuff and and uh, I had no problem with transferring how I felt about something to somebody else to get them to make a buying decision. So I just focus more on perfecting that and, and making it more professional.
0: Awesome.
1: So was there, was there a certain like thing that, um, you know, cause you kind of slipped back into, you know, the old, old way a little bit. Was there a certain thing that just made you stop and say, okay, like I'm, I'm done. I'm going to like pursue this in a, in a legal way.
2: As much as I wanted to say there, there was, there was, there was this defining moment there really wasn't some crazy defining moment. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it just came down to, I gradually got into the legal game. You know, I didn't wake up one day and say, this happened to this person or this happened to me or blah, 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 I gotta get out of it. Like that didn't, that didn't happen. That happens for a lot of people. That has happened for some of my friends, but I'm not going to sit here and lie and say something drastic happened to me. And and I just woke up and say, OK, today's the day. No more. dope dealing. deal it. No, that didn't happen. I mean, because I stopped and I, I got on again and I stopped and I got a, like when 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 money got tight. I reverted back to what I knew. I mean, it, it was what it was. It, it, I mean, the clientele was always there. I've always had the friends that were in the game. So it was. Hey, money is funny. You got to do what you got to do.
3: Well, let's go ahead and like jump to it. How did you get introduced to network marketing? Like, what was that moment like? Like, take us back. The good, the bad, the ugly. These people are crazy. This doesn't work. Like, what What did you think? What was network marketing and how was it introduced to you?
2: So, network marketing, I was twenty. 20- I was 20 or 21. I believe I was 21 um, when I first got introduced to it. So it was three years after my little hiatus. And um, I was working at a, a food company called American Frozen Foods, where we sold six months worth of worth of meat in a $2,000 freezer at one time. And we had a telemarketing department that set up these leads and blah, blah, blah. And I became their top sales rep, so they made me the manager. So I had like seven reps that would go out there and, and sell product. And a friend of mine named Todd, never forget it. Todd went out and sold a uh, service to a guy by the name of Manly. And Todd came back and said, Hey, I sold the service. This guy named Manly, he was telling me this thing about Excel communications where you can make money in network marketing. I told him it's not my thing, but I think it's something that you might like. So I looked at it, and then the next day, Manly called in to try to cancel the service because it was some pretty freaking expensive stuff. I mean that. $2,100 freezer was like a $400 freezer, you know those, those stakes were like marked up 50 damn times It was crazy. <laughs> so he called to cancel and I got him on the phone and I said hey You know before you talk about canceling, you know this thing that you have here is pretty interesting Why don't I come to your house and we'll talk about your service and see what we can do to help you out But I want you to tell me a little bit about this Excel thing. So I went to his house He told me about Excel. I liked it uh, Signed up immediately. It was 250 bucks at the time um, and I went to a meeting and I found out that the number one income earner, uh, Lord Russell, soul was Paul Orbison at the time. And Paul Orbison was making a million dollars a month in Excel. And if you calculate inflation right now, cause that was the nineties, so that's probably, yeah. that's probably the equivalent of maybe seven, eight million a month right now. Um, so that blew my mind because I didn't know anybody who made that kind of money legally. You know, and I'm like, you you making a million dollars a month slinging long distance. Oh, I'm getting ready to eat this up. So we, we got into the game and I realized that it was, it was dope dealing. I said, oh, oh, okay. And I don't have to collect any money. So I just got to get them to sign a form. That's it. Because all they were doing was switching their long distance. So it was easy. So I was just getting people to switch their long distance. Then we started building team and, and. I remember quote unquote getting called into the office one day not really getting called into the office but my sponsor he he said he said man you are good and i'm like thank you bro i appreciate it and he said and you suck and i'm like how am i good and i suck he was like you know you bought in i i had sponsored like 80 some odd people in like a couple of months now this is my very first network marketing company i didn't know what i was doing and he was like bro you realize how many people you bought in? I'm like, yeah, that's good, right? He was like, yeah, but none of them do anything. He said, you know why? I said, why? He said, because you're selling them all. I had this attitude that if you let me in your house and I pitched you Excel, I wouldn't leave until you signed. Like I had a closers mentality. It wasn't about the business. It was more so I'm selling you this business and you signing up before I leave. You just don't know it yet. So I signed up everybody. Only a handful of people, you know, actually did something, but that was my very first introduction 20 plus years ago, 21, 20, 21 years old, life, life life-changing day and time. What what did you
3: take out of that first experience? What would you say the biggest lesson you learned of that particular experience for your whole career? Like what, what did you take out of it?
2: That anybody can do this. I mean, I saw I saw people that didn't have the talent in my pinky finger that were making 50 grand a month. And I'm like, oh my, like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it was literally freaking me out. I'm like, anybody can do this, really? And then the fact that they didn't check my background, that came in handy. I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. They didn't a- care. User. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you don't care if I'm from jail or from Yale? Oh, I can do this? Okay, cool, it's on. You know, so I would say that biggest thing was knowing that the background didn't matter for number one. And then number two, being able to see so many average people winning that came from numerous different backgrounds that didn't come from some special network marketing type training or anything.
3: Right. And when we talk about equal opportunity, you know, we hear that a lot. And this truly definitely is. This is an equal opportunity. Like you said, they didn't care where you came from. It didn't matter what kind of education, what kind of background it really was an equal opportunity. So I think that was a great first lesson, I would say, out of network marketing.
2: It was huge.
0: So take us, I guess, a little bit to the next, this that second half from you were where we left or like where you, how you got to where you're at today. We were at you making $2.1 million as a 27-year-old, 26-year-old. 27-year-old, yeah, 27 wow. years
2: old 2003. You thought the sky was going to part. Everything was great. I get the phone call to come to Florida um, to kind of go fishing from the, the old boss man. So I came to Florida. And he said, hey, I was thinking maybe you should move. And I'm like, move for what? He's like, you should move to Florida and just become the president of the company. And the year prior, I had paid $116,000 to the state for state taxes in Virginia. And I knew that Florida was a, a, a state with no state taxes, 80 degree weather and water everywhere. And I'm a fisherman and I'm like, man, you ain't gotta convince me. I just gave the government all this bread and it's 80 degrees. And there's water everywhere. Florida, here I come. You know, <laughs> so, so I came here. That was 2004. I was light-skinned. Things changed, as you can tell. <laughs> yes. oh, oh, working cool. on your tan. <laughs> it was cool. It was cool. Uh, so that was, that was 2004. Uh, became the uh, VP of marketing, VP of sales for the company. You know, had 1,100 loan officers, 28 different states. The mortgage game was still moving. And then all of a sudden, things started slowing down. Mm -hmm. And they started slowing down dramatically and they started getting scary, you know, so uh, we were still making good money. But a lot of my managers were they went from 50, 60, 70 grand a month down to 10, 15, 20 grand a month. Then some of them went from 20 grand a month down to five, six grand a month. You know, they went from Maseratis and Lamborghinis and Hummers to hiding the cars and 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 freaking out and all sorts of crazy stuff happening. And then uh, the boss man came in and was like, hey, we got to start shutting down offices. So I had to go around and start shutting down offices because the company was bleeding. And uh, it started to become depressing. You know, so we shut down a bunch of offices. We went from 1,100 lawn officers and 28 offices down to about 60 some odd lawn officers and five offices. And uh, I'll never forget, I went on vacation. It was 2004, it was the end of 2004. I've never been on vacation. No, it was the end of 2005. I had never been on vacation ever since 2001, since, since getting in the mortgage industry. So I went on vacation and I, I went to, uh, where was I? At? I was in the Bahamas and I'm laying on the beach for like a week and a half or whatever, just enjoying life. And I look around and I'm like, man, these people make 50, 60, 80, 100 grand a year and they take a week or two off. And at the time I was making like 70, 80 a month. And I'm like, I haven't, I haven't been on vacation five years. I went into my old boss's office and I said, hey man, I love you, but I can't do this anymore. And it's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I, I, I gotta go. I gotta go home, I can't do this anymore. And he was like, you need, to, you need to go back on vacation or something? Are you, are you all right? And I'm like, no, seriously, like I'm done. So I'm like, hey man, I can't, I, I really truly can't do this anymore. So at that point, I resigned. Um, I resigned, I, I went home and I went fishing. I literally bought a house. I bought a $400,000 house. That was a fishing shack. And the only thing that had it, the only thing it had in it had no furniture and all it had in it was fishing rods. That's it. It was literally 5 minutes away from my other house and I would go there and go fishing every stinking day. You know, and I, and I got bored so I started trading stocks. Scott Trade gave me a half a million dollar margin account so I started trading stocks. And I realized that I wasn't a stockbroker because I got a bad case of ADDD. Did, 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 did. <laughs> so I would buy a stock at nine o'clock and sell it at nine thirty. Like that's not how you play the stock market. But when you've got a margin account, you can do that. So I did that until one day I lost. I lost two hundred thousand. I lost one day, and that's when I realized. I said, you know, I think I should stop trading stocks. <laughs> that was a that was a hit. That was a nice hit. Us, and I said, I'm just not in the mood to be losing this kind of money. So I realized I need to go do something else. And I, I knew I wasn't going back to work. And so I got back into networking and um, I started back off with a Lightyear Alliance. And that was in 2006. So I would say about six to seven months after, quote unquote, retiring out of the, the mortgage industry. Because I went back a couple of months later and that lasted for two weeks. Then I said, okay, that's it. I can't do it. Whatever. Um, so, yeah, I went and, and joined Lightyear Alliance. And that's when the game started. That's when it all came back around. The whole, that's when you really, that's when the story gets interesting. That's when we really start to open up Pandora's box. Because oh I started to realize some things about the industry. And I said, okay, let's, let's change the game and have some fun. So, that's how I got back. That's how I ended up coming back. So two thousand six, and then full time since then.
0: Full time since then, you said.
2: Yep. Wow. Yep. Full time since then. So you know, first run in the nineties. I would say a year and a half. Excel sold out, um, and then we went over to ACN, but the culture wasn't the same. So I just totally got out the industry. Started focusing on the Excel.
0: So. At- It sounds to me like something that you're sort of the expert in would be that recruiting arena is what it sounds to me like. Um, And I know that that is something that I personally hear the most in my business is I can't find people. I don't know where the people are. I'm struggling to recruit, but in our industry, that's a necessity. So talk to us a little bit about that some tips and tricks and and what do you think sets a sets a good recruiter apart from a bad
2: recruiter well first of all what separates a good recruiter a good recruiter from a bad recruiter is attachment to outcome that's the first thing most people can't recruit because they're attached to the outcome like you have to learn that your highs got to be low and your lows got to be high and it has to be that situation whereas if they join great if they don't join great like when you have that type of attitude it doesn't matter most people can't recruit because they're, they, they've got commission breath and they're desperate. So the, the best example I can use of it is a dog, being that my dog wants to make all this stupid noise in the background. So let's use a dog as a background, a dog as an example. If you show a dog that you're scared of him or her, the dog will bite you. The dog will bark. If you literally show a dog you're afraid, they will bark. They will try to attack you. If you show a dog that you're not afraid, nine times out of 10, they won't attack you. Because they can sense fear, they can smell it. Humans are no different. So it's almost like if I've got a if you're a brand new recruit inside of the of, inside of the business, most people when they're brand new, they don't have to say that they're brand new. Just based upon their confidence and their posture, it shows that they're brand new. So now the quote unquote dog starts to bite because nobody wants to be your guinea pig. But as a brand new person, if your posture is strong, you don't care if they join. You don't care if they don't join. It's a whole different game now. Now you're just playing the numbers now. That's it. I mean, my mom told me a long time ago, at some point a blind squirrel will find a nut. A blind squirrel will find a nut. So if that's the case, if you, if you look in a room with certain network marketing leaders, for an example, and you look around and you say, man, this person doesn't have the talent in my penny finger. Maybe they just hung around long enough. Maybe they put in those three years, five years, eight years, 10 years. They just kept going through the numbers. They were bad enough, long enough. Most people aren't willing to be bad enough, long enough. So you just gotta be willing to be bad enough, long enough. If you're willing to be bad enough, long enough, and not be attached to the outcome, magical things can happen. But as soon as you have an attachment to the outcome, everything changes. So prime example, I I probably get prospected it's toned down a little bit, but it's, at one point it was at least five, six times a week. Somebody was pitching me something. I would say right now, which maybe twice a week. So this morning, and and before, I would like cut people at the knees. But but it's like, well, you stop it. Like this is adorable. You know, this is this is adorable. You really try, Cedric. I've been following you for ten years, and I gotta teach you this. I gotta show you this. That's freaking adorable. Every now and then, I used to chop them at the knees. <laughs> Then I got to the point, I'm like, you know what? I'm not chopping it. You know what? I'm doing a, I'm doing a video about facing your fears or, you know, recruiting outside of your, your local market and recruiting up. And then people inbox me because they want to try to recruit up. Okay, already, right, I get it. So I have a conversation with them, but I won't join it. But the interesting thing, I get this call this morning from a friend of mine I've been known for 13, 14 years. And uh, she was telling me about the opportunity because we're friends. You know, I, I let her do her little thing because we're friends. You know, Because I, I know that we don't own any of these companies. So I don't know what's going to happen in three years, five years, or 10 years. So I'm, we'll, we'll be friends. I mean, I know you, you, you're drinking the Kool-Aid right now, and I get it, but it's all good. But <laughs> she, was, she, was, she was on me so hard. Can you at least just, just, take, just take a position, Sam? Just take a position. And I'm like, no. Nobody's going to know. I promise you, nobody's going to know. And I'm like, yes, everybody will know. She's like, no, 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 nobody will know. And I said, I don't think you understand. People in that word marketing get paid to talk. It's the cold word for snitch. So if you want me to lock in a position, the whole world's going to know. No, no, no. Yes, they will. And I'm not interested. I'm really not interested. But her posture was, came across as she needed me. Yeah, that's not the type of posture that you want to come across when you're presenting any opportunity. You know, so if I look at if I look at the screen right now, okay, I got three beautiful ladies. I'm lucky. I got the triple A's right here, right? If you sit back and you think about this, like, what man that is damn near begging you for your phone number or sweating you or whatever. That's not the guy that you're attracted to because he's chasing. Like, "Why, why are you such a bugaboo? Like, what is, what, is, what, is, what is the deal? Annoying. Yeah, but the person Girl. that's falling back, the person that isn't sweating you that hard, the person that's like, oh, well, if she down, she down. If she not, she not. That's the one you're looking at a little bit different. Like, what, I wonder, what's his deal? You know, versus that's the person That's totally true. That, you're like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah, I'm like, hold but on. But you want time. this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, that whole chase thing, so when it comes down to recruiting, that's the big deal. Posture, posture, posture is so important. Knowing that you've got gold. If they if they want a piece, they get a piece. If they don't, they don't. It's their loss. We have to position it that way, but unfortunately inside of this game, people don't act like what they have is gold. They really don't. Sure. I want to
3: back up one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just have a a good one. When you talked about being bad enough long enough, that Mm -hmm. made me think realistically, what does a successful career and network marketing time-wise timeline look like to you? And we're talking, you know, may not be top of the company. To me, Mm -hmm. success is, is it, you know, influencing your day-to-day life? Are you making more money is it making an impact in your life or you're making impact in others. But, you know, just kind of generally speaking, as far as the business point of view, how long would you say it takes to build a actual business or how much time should you be willing to give a company or a product or a business model?
2: Great question. Okay. This is going to be a very, very interesting podcast because I get to get raw. When we talk about my definition of success, first of all, it's not just centered around just a network marketing opportunity. Um, because success looks different for a lot of different people. So, for an example, I think that inside of networking, success could look like hey, before you couldn't talk, now you can stand in front of a group of people. You know, you, the, the number one fear on the planet is public speaking. Right. Now you're not afraid to talk to 50 people, 80 people, 100 people. That's success. Right. Um, maybe you weren't a great listener before. Now all of a sudden you're a better listener. That's success. Maybe you couldn't look people in their eyes before. You were constantly looking up, down, and around because you weren't comfortable in your own body. That's success. I think sometimes inside of network marketing, we attach the monetary side as success too much. And the reason I say that we attach it too much is because I don't care what company it is, take all of them, put them on a globe and spin it counterclockwise and grab a dart and throw it at it wherever it lands, when all the dust settles, majority of the people in the deal are never gonna recruit more than two and a half people, period, I don't care what company it is. That's 98% of the industry, period. So if that's the case, you have to look at what are other parts of success that we could actually look at and measure that that person can feel good about what they're doing If if they're not just making the money. Um, secondly, for me, <laughs> you, you ask a question that, that the reason I say this is going to get interesting because most people know my story, but most people don't know the details, details. And, and here's what I mean by that. When you say the amount of time I've been in quite a few different companies, and some people will look in, and and so some people categorize it a certain way until they really understand. Okay. So for me, I've got this Kenny Rogers thing. I know when to hold them and I know when to fold them. Okay. That's so when people get attached to a certain thing, I'm like, listen, I am not a network marketer first. I'm a businessman first. You are a network marketer first. That's your problem. I'm a businessman first. And as a businessman, I have to look at metrics. I don't drink Kool-Aid. I'm going to look at numbers. So you can get all hype off the Kool-Aid, okay? But that's not what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna look at numbers and I'm gonna look at facts and what makes sense. So I've made decisions in my life that people didn't like that thought I was crazy. But then later I look like a genie. But in the beginning, he's a jumper. Oh my goodness, I can't stick with sad. They don't know how long he's gonna be with something. You just don't know. I'm a businessman. So what I was saying was that I've got this thing. I know when to hold them and I know when to fold them. A lot of people don't know that. So they get- Walk scared. away and run. <laughs> right, right. They, they, get, they get crazy attached to certain situations. And I look at it from a business perspective. If numbers are going in a different direction or there's all these different challenges that are happening and they're out of my control, I can only control the things that I can control. I can't control anything else. So I'm very, very conscious of that. So I've had to make moves in my life that, again, a lot of people weren't fans of. But in hindsight, you know, sometimes you'll look and see, oh, he was in this deal and this deal and this deal. But what most people don't realize is that majority of those deals aren't even in existence anymore. I was just able to see some stuff before other people saw it. There's only maybe one or two deals that are still in existence that I've left.
1: I mean, what are some key things that make you say "mm mm," and you just run? You know what I mean, like,
3: like yeah. What are run now items? (laughs) Yeah, give us, give us the (laughs) get the hell out, walk away, run.
2: Run Run now items. I was in a situation where, um, owners, owners were sleeping in the organization. Problem. Problem. Um, Big problem. I've seen situations where. Drugs, look, to each his own, everybody do their thing. But I know the effects of certain types of drugs. So you wanna smoke a split or something, knock yourself out, that's on your thing, do you. But when you start popping Molly and ecstasy and sniffing cocaine and doing all that type of crazy stuff and you're doing it with reps in the company, problem, problem, I've, I've, I've seen that. Um, numerous comp plan changes, shows indecisiveness. And people listening to only a handful of people versus listening to the field. So when there's like a good old boy network, for example, where there's now ownership is only listening to six to 10 people or five to six people. When there's 50,000 people in the company, 20,000 people in the company, but these five to six people, they get all the ears and they've got 80% of the company in their organization they're gonna scratch their back. They're gonna make sure that their check is straight.
1: So instead of listening to the voice of the field, they're listening to a couple of their big dogs type thing.
2: Right, right, right. In, in, instead of listening more, absolutely. That's a challenge, that's definitely something to look out for. Um, introduction of products that have nothing to do with the overall message of the company. So for an example, when I was in Lightyear, Okay, what some companies tend to do is that they will see what's hot. And because something is hot, now they want to shift over to that and add that to their repertoire. So for an example, when Vasilis was really hot, when it was three for free stars and cars, and everybody was talking about the shake mix that tastes like cake mix, and it was all about BMWs, and Vasilis was doing $50, $60 million a month. They were the talk of the town. What did other network marketing companies start doing adding shakes they thought it was a shake thing to the yeah. point that i saw acn which was a communications company add shakes then i saw five links that was a communication company add coffee and add shakes and i'm like you guys you guys have lost your way because i've seen this i sat in lightyear alliance when they came to all of us and said hey guys mona V is crushing it zango is crushing it we're going to start selling juice and I said, you're going to do what? We're going to start selling juice. I said, so let me get this right. We're a communications company that sells voice over internet. So I'm going to talk to somebody about cutting their phone bill in half. And by the way, I've got a juice that the berry grew <laughs> in the Himalayan mountains. That's going to help your leg grow back. And only four people can <laughs> get to it. And I got a bottle for you. And it's only 700 bucks. Get the yes. fuck out of here. Who's yes. buying like, Stop it. Stop. Stop it, man. Stop. Like, stop it. Okay. And at the end of the day, that's what they did. They lost their way. So you, you got to pay attention to the things, that, the things that you're selling, do they align within the core message of the company? Or are you just adding stuff because it's hot right now? Like, so CBD is hot right now. CBD is everywhere. It's, it's hot. Okay. But do you shift your whole message of your company for one product line when you built 50 million a month or 80 million a month or 100 million a month or 20 million a month and it had nothing to do with that product line? So I'm this big, gigantic fan of pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So let's get fat. Let's not get slaughtered, let's just all get fat and let's not look at every trend that's happening. So you you've gotta watch the trends, you gotta watch indecisiveness. Um, definitely who's doing what in the organization. I mean, there's, there's a, a more than one occasion that I, I can count that you know, owners have, have just done things that they shouldn't have done. Because once you cross that line, it, it ain't no coming back. It just, it, 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 it ain't. And you think people don't say nothing. They, everybody says something. Everybody has picture phones and text messages and screenshots and this and that. So it's like, you got to be super duper conscious of that stuff. And you got to have a strong trust factor with the people that you're working with. Um, the other thing I pay attention to is the eye concept. And what I mean by the I concept is, is that if, is my upline about I all the time? Like if when there's an event, is it I, 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 I? When there's a Zoom or a webinar or training, is it I, 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 are you raising up other people? Are you edifying those other people or is the party really all about you? Because if the party is really all about you, then you're not raising up anybody around you. You know, if you start to take that energy and put it on other people, then what you have expands. So I'm I'm real conscious of the eye party. Um, the other thing I'm very very conscious of, of of things to run away from is when when the companies don't want you to brand yourself. I'm really I'm, I'm I'm huge on that. So you guys you you got your own podcast here. So obviously this is this is your own brand. The reason why I say that that's such a big deal is because most people don't realize that. network marketing we're all independent contractors and yeah you might not be an employee but you can still be terminated so at the end of the day it's one of those things of does the company allow you to be you does the company allow you to be allow you to build your own brand or do they want to just box you into to it just being about them
1: i mean do some companies actually do that they don't allow you to
2: absolutely Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of them. I won't mention their names on here because that's not fair, but there's a lot of them. There, there's a lot of them that inside of their terms and conditions, you can't, no, you're not branding yourself. You're not going to post this on Facebook. You can't say this. You can't say that. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's like the 10 commandments. I'm like, did you actually read that before you freaking check that box off? Cause most people don't, don't no. read the I agree box. Only less than 5% of the entire network marketing industry as a whole reads the terms and conditions. Less than 5%. So that means that everybody listening to this podcast, if you're inside of network marketing, less than 5% of all the people in any organization that you have, it doesn't matter what company it is, it doesn't matter what country it is, less than 5% of them have read the terms and conditions. They have no idea.
0: And let's just be honest, even less than that, understand them.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Very true, very true. Because it's all, it's all written in what, legalese.
0: Yeah, it's talk circles.
2: circles. Yep, yep. So those are the things that I'm very, very conscious of. And when I see those types of things happening around me, because I'm confident in myself and I'm not married to the deal, it—if I start saying stupid stuff, I just don't hang around for the for the explosion. It's almost like if you know that you're on the Titanic, don't be the band that's <laughs> on the ship. Another song. No, dude, the boat is halfway underwater. Get your ass off the ship, man. There's freaking life raps over there. Like, that's the deal. So just don't be the band. Don't be the band. And I've seen that that people have just, they've got so much faith, but they're the band, man. They're just, the, the, it's halfway underwater, dude. Like, at some point you gotta call a spade a spade. Right. You know, so, but some people, some people don't get it.
3: else that we see and we hear a lot um as leaders in the company is you know keeping your teams motivated what what have you seen work the best what in your opinion works the best are we talking contests cars recognition like what is something you've seen consistently work through through no matter what what should we be doing to motivate our teams
2: contests are good um I will say you gotta, be, you gotta be careful with them as well though, so you don't create. So I've learned the hard way through contests that if you run too many contests, you will end up with a contest dependent team that they won't do anything until there's a contest because they know that you're gonna release one. So if you're typical with it, okay, this time of month, this is when I'm gonna do a contest, this time of month, I'm gonna, this is when I'm gonna do a contest, blah, blah, blah. If people know your routine, they're not gonna do anything until that time. And this is gonna create animosity because you're gonna to start to think you could have did that at the beginning of the month and you just did that for just 300 bucks or 500, it's gonna make you upset. So you gotta be, got be careful with that. I would say the biggest thing is praise. The biggest thing to keep your team motivated is praise. And it's the little things. It's not, oh my goodness, Johnny just made $10,000, that's fine. Mary just did her first three way, praise that. Johnny just did his first presentation in front of a room, praise that those little calls out of the blue, those little calls out of the blue, not a 10 minute conversation. So it's it's something like, you know, Mary just made her first commission and you're five levels up from Mary and she never talks to you. She looks at you as a god, and you pick up the phone and you call up Mary. Hey, Mary, is said, how you doing? Cedric, Cedric, really? Yeah, hey, listen, I was just giving you a call to let you know, great job. I saw you just got your first commission. Keep up the great work. I just wanna let you know I'm proud of you. Keep it going. I gotta run, have a good day. That right there goes 10,000 miles because somebody noticed, somebody cared. So what are the little things? The praise inside of the Facebook group, the remembering their important days. I could tell you something that one of my, one of my mentors taught me a while back. I was in a company and I sponsored like 103, 104 people in like 24 hours. And he called me and he said, stop. And I never in my life had a sponsor tell me to stop recruiting. And I said, stop, what are you talking about? He was like, said, you sponsored over hundred people in a day, stop. What are you trying to prove? And I'm like, what do you mean, man? Like I'm, I'm on the roll. I'm on the road. What are you talking about? You know, Just fear of losses, binary, this is that, blah, blah, blah. He was like, you're gonna know their usernames, but you're not gonna know their wives. You're not going to know the husbands. You're not going to know the dogs. You're not going to know the anniversaries, the birthdays, the kids, the things that are important to them. All you're going to know is their username. That went a long way with me because people want to know that you actually care. So those birthdays that pop up on Facebook, don't be like everybody else on Facebook. Because when it pops up on Facebook, what does everybody do? Inbox or go to their wall. Happy birthday, you know, to the point that people's moms are doing that. Like, you're, if your mom posts on your Facebook wall, happy birthday, and she doesn't call you, your mom really doesn't like you. <laughs> 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 like, labor was horrible. Like, it was horrible. Like, uh, happy birthday on Facebook. Like, she doesn't even send you a text message. Like, she really doesn't like you. You know, but what I'm I'm like going to make you. a phone call on that you called somebody on their birthday, you called them on their anniversary, those little things like that go 10,000 miles.
3: And I like what you said about the quality of the relationship versus the quantity. You Mm -hmm. know, like you said, you can, I know people that can recruit all day long, but are those people gonna stick around? And if so, like what quality are you gonna have sticking around?
2: Right. The hole at the bottom is bigger than the hole at the top. And I've learned that the hard way as well, you know, I've I've broken a lot of records in in different companies and I got to the point in my life that I'm like, what am I doing this for? Like, what am I trying to prove? Like, what's the purpose? Okay, great. You personally sponsored 400 people personally. Great. All that means is that you make a lot of money, but your phone doesn't stop. Versus you looking and saying, well, hold on for a second. I'm not going to get religious here, but last time I checked, every religion that was created came from 12 disciples. From 12 disciples, everything else blew up. So I'm like, hmm, interesting. (laughs) Why do I need 416? Why do I need 2,000 front line? Why do I need 5,000 frontline? It's all about the quality, just like you said. You know, so having the quality, having the relationships, just like you three ladies have, because once you develop that strong relationship, you can't break that. You can't break it. And then it comes down to, now I can share stuff with you that has nothing to do with business. Now we can have you know, girl talk conversations, or boy talk conversations, or whatever. Because once you get to a certain level anyway, you're not going to be a sponsor anymore. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm not a sponsor anymore. I'm Oprah. I'm a sponsor. I am a psychiatrist. I am a therapist. I am a recruiter. I am a product creator. I'm all these things all wrapped up in one because you don't know what's going to happen when you get that phone call.
0: Yeah. You don't
2: know what's going on inside of that person's life that you thought that it was about, they had a product issue when, as you had the conversation, you found out, it was a boyfriend issue or a girlfriend issue or a kid issue or you know, a suicidal issue or something. And now you've got to become a whole different person and be a real person.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: so really, really praising the little things. Um, and then also at least I would say awards. So a lot of people think that the 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 bonus checks are cool, right? So that's all that's all fine and dandy. I'm here to tell you that if you were giving out a $300 a month bonus check every month, but let's say that you had a, I used to do this thing called the TTO team member of the month. Right. So I would kind of go through the team and look to see who, you know, has flourished the most, blah, blah, blah. So this person will get a bonus check and get an award. And what I realized was, is that the award meant more than the check. Hmm. Just the fact that I had an award with their name on it, that you spent 45 or 50 bucks on, you know, some, I don't know, any type of, I don't know, there's a bunch of them over here, whatever. Some, some, I don't, I don't. well, here, I, I'll use a Ray Higdon one. Here we go. <laughs> I don't want to use any names, any company names, but so here's, here's, here's one. I got this from Ray Higdon. This was, this was eight years ago, eight years ago. Cause I was the the number one recruiter in in Numis network. And I was like 70% of the company. And Cedric, you rock. You're the model of what it takes to be a leader. Thanks for all you do. Congrats on five-star. Okay. The, if that was a bonus check, the bonus check money was spent. That was 2011. We're getting ready to go into 2020 and I still got this award. People don't forget stuff like this. This stuff goes, this might've cost Ray 50 bucks. If that. But nine years later, I still got it. I can't forget Ray because of this now. You know what I mean? So little stuff like that, Awarding that person for, you know, being a top recruiter or being a, a top customer gatherer or, you know, for doing their first three-way call or doing their first presentation or whatever. Giving them a $50, 40 $50 award just for something like that goes a long way. Goes I a love long that. Way. Because that makes a lot of sense. and And, you
1: know, like, I love what you said about, like, the contest because I do think that happens and it becomes something that's kind of expected, you know, so. And
2: huh. people don't appreciate... Mm-mm. People don't appreciate the fact that you don't have to do it.
3: Mm-mm. They're expecting you to exactly. do it. Like what's your job. You're my upline. What's the contest? What, I mean, give us something. You know, yeah,
2: Right. I, you make you make enough money. You can do it. You know. And then you're listen. My accountant called me. Was like, you're really really nice. <laughs> like you, you might be like too nice, because over time you start looking. You say, man. spent x amount of dollars in bonus money and what are these people doing right now what is this person doing like a friend of mine called me not too long ago said i'm thinking about doing a contest and i'm like why like your company already has a a contest going on right now so if they aren't moving based upon what is happening in the company contest what makes you think that you're going to throw more yeast on it and it's going to blow it up even more no all you're going to do is spend money that you shouldn't be spending and it's going to create animosity So, and my thought
3: is workers are going to work either way. And that's what I've seen happen in contests. Like that person that's going to win the contest is going to win because they're building their business, you know, like they were going to win anyway. I like to do like secret contest where they don't realize that I'm doing a contest, you know, like they're not vying for a contest. It's like, I'm watching and they don't know because that's who you're going to see the real workers and who's going to be working anyway. I kind of like that concept too.
2: Exactly, exactly. And as as well as putting together contests that little people can win. It's not just about the, the person who wins it because people get tired of seeing the same people winning the contests over and over. They they freaking get sick and tired of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's it's and and some people won't even work for it. So when you put things down at the bottom for little people to be able to win, or if you say, Hey, I was gonna I was gonna pay out fifteen hundred dollars of bonus money this month but instead of it being one $1,500 bonus, maybe it's 15 $100 bonuses. You know what I mean? So now it's more people clamoring for something. Those are the people that are at the bottom. Those are the people that that $100 makes a difference. That $500 makes a difference. Some of the people that win big bonus money, it doesn't make that big of a difference because they're always winning anyway. They're already making 15, 20 grand a month. The extra $500 isn't gonna change their life. But the person who's making two grand a month or a grand a month, if they get an extra hundred dollars if they get an extra 200 bucks it does change their life you know then with you with you ladies as well i would say that i figured this out too because over my, over the years all my organizations have been i would say 80 80 percent women you you've got to pay attention to what women like at the same time so I, I figured out that you know you ladies like purses and watches and you know cool stuff from louis vuitton and all these type places so when you're doing gift certificates, you know, to a Louis Vuitton or, you know, a particular candle place that, you know, a lot of your ladies might go to or, you know, whether it's Gucci or Michael Kors or, you know, you're looking at certain type of watches and you're like, you know what, I'm going to spend 300, 400 bucks a pop. What kind of what kind of nice watch can I get for 400 bucks that the ladies would love to have that they might not buy on their own? You know, little stuff like that. People fight for Cause they just want it. They just want it. It's not about, it's not about, it's not really about, I won the contest. It's more, I was able to tap into your pocket. I was able to get that prize. Now I can go on Facebook and say, look at what I got. Look at this. Like now they're an even better promoter because they're out there talking for you. Cause they're sharing the stuff that you did for them. That's right.
0: And please do, please do thank us. If we give you something.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, doesn't that drive you crazy when you do stuff with people and then, and then they don't like my number one one love language, my number one love language. That is my number one love. language. Like when you don't show appreciation, it drives me insane because it's like, well, hold on for a second. Like, I really didn't have to do that. Like I wasn't obligated to do that.
3: I just you told Alicia know? that yesterday, I sent someone two cards on two separate occasions. Like went to the mail, wrote a letter, sent a card in a mail, sent her two cards. And she's never acknowledged that I sent her not one <laughs> or two cards. I'm like, how rude.
2: <laughs> no, I, I dig it. And the interesting thing about that is, is that they probably didn't have any of the cards. Because we live in this technical world, that everything's True. text and email is like I got when one book. I get the most
3: results for when I when I from everyone else loves when I send a handwritten card. Like I have people tell me, "Oh my gosh, thank you, that meant so much." But yeah, apparently she's very techy, and she didn't get it. Next, I'll, I'll send her like an email card, I guess.
2: There you go. There you go.
3: I hope she's listening. <laughs> she's bitter.
2: She's a bitter
3: say. little bitch.
2: <laughs> call somebody I out right now that's actually <laughs> listening to this dog. Working. I hope
3: she is. And I hope she... Maybe go check your mail. Everyone check oh, your mail goodness. because you might have a it card did, in it.
2: it did. At least Alicia had to add some extra words to it. Or only her. She's a freaking gangster.
3: Yeah, she's- I had extra... Everyone, check your mail. This <laughs> is so, a reminder.
2: I totally get it. I totally get it.
3: We mentioned it, but we didn't dive into it. Okay. Culture, the importance of creating a culture, maintaining a culture, keeping people in a culture. Talk a little bit about culture team wise.
2: Good question. Um, people always want to be a part of something bigger than what they are, always. So if I join your company, I'm just joining XYZ company. So if I just use Amway for an example, I'm an Amway. If if you're an Amway and I'm an Amway and we've got two different lineages, great. You're an Amway number one, I'm an Amway number two, but we're still an Amway, what separates us? What is the biggest reason why I should join your team versus this team over here? So when we talk about culture, so, so important, whether it's you breaking it down to what's your team's mission, what's your team's name, You know, so for me, for an example, two thousand and when it was two thousand and six, when I first got back into the industry, I was in. When I was in Lightyear Alliance, I remember it to this day, clear as day. We were in Miami, Florida, and this on Biscayne Boulevard at some condo there. We had just kind of come out of a training, and I'm like, we got to come up with a team name. Like, what is going to be our team name? There's like fifty some of us that were in the room. We're like, what's going to be? So we're just kind of throwing around, you know, different ideas. And then out of the blue, DJ Khaled's song "We Taking Over" came on. So it's like "We Taking Over." Then T.I.'s verse came in. Then Rick Ross verse and everybody's verse started coming in. And I'm like, "Team Takeover, Can we get ready to take this joint up." You know what? TTO, team, team Takeover. That's that's what, team Takeover. That's it. So 2007 made the phone call. Got the trademark in place. copyright all this crap, blah blah blah. So those of y'all that keep using it, it. it It's not a good look. It
3: actually belongs to him, so stop.
2: It's really not a good look. Um, We just haven't slapped you yet. Um, It's coming. It's coming. Uh, So we created the brand and created that ever since. So even though we made some some changes in the industry as far as company-wise, it was always TTO. It was that unit of TTO and what TTO was really about. So when you've got T-shirts and hats and all these different things, People were with me 10 years ago that still have TTO shirts that I see them wear. Like, that goes a long way. You know, when you go into an event and, like, when Straight Out of Compton came out, I had, I got straight out of TTO shirts made. Like, we, <laughs> go awesome. to a, we go to an event and there's like 400 people with straight out of TTO shirts. Well, you don't know everybody that's in your organization. But if you see them with a straight out of TTO shirt on, you know that they're, they're on your team in some way, shape, or form. So it's a beautiful thing to be able to look, to the, look in the crowd and recognize 400, 500 people out of 5,000. You know what I mean? And then they have a sense of pride at the same time because your team is different than somebody else's team. You know, so you've got to create that, whether it's through gear, through the culture, through parties, through events that have nothing to do with the business, if there was like, hey, this this month, everybody's going on a freaking bowling trip. This is the, the team bowling trip that we're doing, or whatever. This is the team fishing trip or whatever, you know, whatever it is, so that it's able to create that bond. So now those people are stickier and they're representing that team, they're representing that brand, because if anything happens to the company, they weren't stamped off on the company. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, well, that team is over there now. That team is over there, whatever. So that's so, so, so key. And with women, I mean, you, you, y'all are able to do it a lot easier because women stick together, for the most part anyway, you know, <laughs> stick together in bunches, you know? So if you have that right team camaraderie, that right shirt that goes along with it, that right team call that happens on a weekly basis, that once a quarter, you know, uh, trip that you guys do or whatever, that keeps your culture sticky because if something ever happens to the deal, they are part of that unit. It wasn't about the company. Products come and go. And I think when people really, really realize this, they'll be a lot more successful because I don't care what company somebody's in, you don't control it like there's decisions that are being made that have nothing to do with you, good, bad, or indifferent. Some of them might be good. Some of them might not be good. Some of them might not even be coming from the experience of building in the field. You'd be surprised how many corporate executives are out there that have never built anything in the field, but they're making decisions for people that are in the field. And it affects all of us. So we, as the builders, as the people that are actually out there doing the doggone work, we've got to create the right culture so the people are really, truly, Sticky with us. Hope <laughs> okay, that how
3: important would you say, like, company culture is? Like, what is something you should be, or what is something you look for in a company culture before bringing your team in? What is what's important to you as far as looking at a corporate aspect? What are things you are looking for? We look for things not to look for, but what are some things that are s- specifically what you look for in a company?
2: So from a leadership perspective, I want to make sure that the people who are actually flying the airplane know what they're doing. So I always use the example of, I don't care if it's American Airlines, if it's Virgin Atlantic, if it's United or Southwest, if the pilot is drunk, you're dead, period. So when I'm looking at leadership, first thing I want to know is, do they even come from our industry or, or are they pretending? Because there's a lot of people who pretend and they get in because of the money. And that's it. But they don't understand the people, and they forgot that it's a people business. It's not a, a product business. It's a people business. So I'm looking. Number one, do they have experience in the industry? Secondly, from a corporate perspective, do they actually like people? Like you would be surprised. I'm. I've, there's people in this industry from a corporate perspective that really truly don't like people. Like so, if they are very very introverted, I'm. I'm I'm conscious of that because there's nothing wrong with being an introvert or extrovert. But if you're inside of network marketing and you're the leader of a company, CEO or, you know, VP or whatever, you've got some sort of title, you have to deal with people. So I want to make sure that you are a people person. Um, Thirdly, do you even care about what you're selling? Do you even care about it? Because if the people from the top don't care about it, it's going to be very, very hard for you to bleed into the people that are below. So do you care about it or, or is it just a product that you just added? Well, I just added this, it's done, we just got to sell it. Because that stuff doesn't, doesn't last long. Is there some sort of impact? What type of impact does that product or does that service have? And is there some sort of story that you have to go along with it? If there's no story that, that that leadership has from themselves or their family or somebody that, they, that they're really close to, I'm leery of that as well, because it's easy to delete a product or add a product if there's no story. You know, if your mom got healed off of a particular product, you, you want to tell everybody about it because that's your mom. Like, you can feel good about that but if you don't care who you're going to tell it's, it's, it's no big deal. So those are some of the, the, the key things that I definitely uh, look for. The other thing I look for is believe it or not, when I'm sitting down with, with leadership is, I look for eye contact. I'm really strong. And, and this, for some people, it's not that big of a deal, but they say the eyes are the windows to the soul. And when somebody's looking around in circles or they can't look at me, In most cases, and I'm not going to say in all cases, in a lot of cases, there's something to hide. So it's like, what is it that you're not telling me? That you can't look me directly in my eyes and make me feel the warm and fuzzy because the decision I'm getting ready to make is going to affect a lot of people. So I've got to make sure that if I'm making that big of a decision that you and I are on the same page. So you got to be conscious of body language, eye contact, and before I join anything, I mean, I always like to sit down with the people. Like, I don't, people can't just send me a link. They say, this is what I just joined up. Great. That's awesome. Even if I like it, I'm going to get to the source. Because I've got to make sure that whoever I'm working with, that they actually are here for the right reason. And they're going to be around. Otherwise, they can just come in and cash in and leave. Correct. And they holding the bag. And how many times have we seen that? Right. Two times. You know, so those are some of the key things I look for
3: perfect well, this has been awesome ladies i'm just like oh this has been so good i'm so excited i think we got some really good content here um i'm glad anything? yeah i'm like good stories and stories and tips and i I, th- I love it i think it's perfect i have
0: one more thing um What's next? Well, tell us about some projects you've got going on where can the people find you hear more from you fall in love with you? <laughs> what's going on with said?
3: Yeah people need to know where to find you
2: Here's what's next you know I, I figured out especially over the last 12 to 18 months that I feel better and I have a bigger impact when I can speak generically kind of like what I'm doing right now that I can talk to the masses and I don't have to talk specifically about a company. Um, so first quarter of the year, I'm doing my, my very first say it, say it event that I'm uh, really, really excited about. I've awesome.
3: It.
1: Are it's we
2: zero. invited? We're but inviting I, ourselves. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you're invited. Absolutely. So yeah, so I'm doing that. I'm really excited about that. Um, finishing up the book from selling dope to selling hope. I've been working on that. I've been talking about it forever, but it's now time to, to let it out. Um, my best friend I lost my best friend this year at the beginning of the year, and I uh, I made my mind up that I'm dedicating the book to him. He um, came from the, the same background, and I was able to get out, and he unfortunately uh, was not. So I'm dedicating that to him, and I'm going to be doing a lot more generic things. So you're going to see so much more generic content. There's a reason why you haven't seen me doing as many videos on Facebook Live as normal, because I'm putting together a vault of stuff right now. Um, because I, I I see the industry changing a little bit, well, a lot of it, and uh I just want to kind of be in front of it from a generic perspective. so you can find me on YouTube, just look up said said on YouTube. you can find me on Facebook, look up said said on Facebook or Cedric Harris on Facebook um said said is actually get ready to be released here the next couple of weeks somebody somebody bought the domain name, shout out to the guy who bought the domain name and held it hostage for thousands of dollars super duper. wow yeah, he, That's he classy. hostage you know classy. i've got some rock stars in my life that bought me a nice piece of real estate for my birthday so they bought me that piece of real estate for thousands of dollars for my birthday so i'm <laughs> very humble because i didn't want to pay thousands of dollars for my own dog for your own name somebody stole it you know and just held it hostage but uh so really excited to be releasing that blog with all that content so yeah, so be on the lookout for more and more content. You know, We're so it's content crazy. So that's the game.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on A Three Life. Make sure to join us on Facebook and Instagram at A The Number Three Life Inc. and check out our online shop at A The Number Three Life